Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, and this is episode 17 of Passionate Pioneers. In this episode, we took the podcast to Nashville, Tennessee during a business trip and spoke with a self-taught serial entrepreneur, healthcare innovation venture capitalist, author, and professional sports team owner. Marcus Whitney is a president and co-founder of Briovation, an innovation catalyst company with the mission to be the catalyst of the world's most important health innovations. Through Briovation, Marcus is a CEO of Health Further, a strategic advisory firm for the healthcare industry, as well as a founding partner of Jumpstart, a new kind of venture capital firm focused on innovative, early-stage healthcare companies. During this episode, Marcus shared his journey of becoming a leading national voice for investing in and empowering healthcare innovation and disruption. But most importantly, Marcus shared with us how he came to grips with confronting decades of unaddressed trauma that was triggering self-sabotaging behavior. Marcus is now flourishing with his daily mental well-being exercises and offered insights on how all of us can also participate in being authentic to ourselves and find mental well-being in our daily lives. I want to thank Marcus for spending time with me during my visit to Nashville, a city and community that continually welcomes me with open arms. Most importantly, I want to celebrate Marcus for bringing his inspiring authenticity to our conversation on this podcast, which I know will help empower others to invest in self in order to invest in the world around them. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Marcus Whitney, I'm fired up to be able to spend some time with you today during my travels here in Nashville, which is quickly turning into my home away from home. Mike, welcome back to Nashville. Always happy to have you here, man. Always a pleasure to be here. Marcus, we have so much to cover on the podcast today. I'm looking forward to discussing your journey and becoming a national leader and force for change. The healthcare innovation movement and companies that you and your team have built with Briovation, your upcoming book, Create and Orchestrate, and the inspiring ways you have publicly addressed your personal bouts of mental well-being and how this has impacted you both personally and professionally. And if we have time, perhaps we can even chat about you being an owner of a professional soccer team. Marcus, this is going to be a very passionate conversation, I know, and I can't wait to dive in. Before we dive in on how you are investing and building the future of health for millions of people around the world, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to visit the episode notes to share feedback and ideas with our guests via our guest feedback form link and to nominate other passionate pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli on iTunes or Spotify. All right, Marcus, let's take a moment to break the ice a bit so our community get to know you. Let's randomly select one of three questions. Let's see what you come up with. All right. That goes for the middle one. Let's see. All right. Favorite meal. So favorite meal that you love and why? I think my favorite meal at the moment is the veggie burger at 
Sunflower Cafe here in Nashville. It's just super healthy. It has no guilt associated with it. And I don't have to make it. It's really good. Veggie burger is good. It's really, it's really good. Well, well, I mean, look, my, my choices are pretty limited these days. I'm like 90 days plant-based. There you um, go. Which, which I'm not, you know, espousing anyone else needs to do. It's just sort of a choice that I made for myself. But, uh, so yeah, like I won't be able to talk about, you know, the awesome steak or something like that, you know? So yeah, the veggie burger at Sunflower Cafe is my my top meal right now. Current state veggie burger, Sunflower Cafe, a staple here in Nashville? It is. They've been around for a really long time serving, uh, serving plant-based foods for the community. And, you know, now that, that, uh, being plant-based is becoming more in vogue, we have more and more spots where you can, you know, get a good plant-based meal, but Sunflower Cafe has been holding it down for probably 10 or more years. So yeah. All right. Next time to Nashville, Sunflower Cafe it is. Thank you for that, Marcus. So I want to take it back before we talk about the incredible work, the organizations that you're leading, the movement that you've created here in the Music City. I want to take it back to Labor Day 2000, though, and talking about you driving in with a young family, age 24, college dropout, and getting ready to bartend, not knowing a single person in this city. Take us back to that. What did that mean for Marcus? And how did that set you up for the movement that you've created today? Yeah, you know, if I think back on that on that kid and sort of what he was thinking, I was actually pretty optimistic. Um, Nashville looked like a pretty fun place to be. It and, is. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, like you said, I was in my early 20s. And so, you know, we had a small family. But when you're, I don't know, when you're young, you don't need that much, right. you know. And so we were pretty optimistic. Waiting tables was just fine for me at that moment. Uh, you know, being able to walk into town and, and walk on the the floor of Rio Bravo Cantina, and because I had worked in one previously in Atlanta, being able to get a job on my very first day in town was great, and I was really proud of that. Uh, being able to get some cash and uh, help our family get booked into one of these week week to week hotels. And looking back on it, like it doesn't seem like much, but I do remember those as pretty happy times. You know, when things were very very simple. And how did that set you up coming here? Obviously, you're now one of the you know national leaders in healthcare innovation. You, you have created an entire movement here in Nashville and beyond. How did those early days set you up for the success you're experiencing today? Yeah, I, I credit the fact that I had one child and one on the way as being the accelerator in my professional development. You know, so when I when I moved here on Labor Day, as you asked me to sort of look back on that, I was happy. But you know, if you fast forward. A couple of months, it started to get cold. I was working, you know, double shifts. Uh, for anyone who, who's waited tables, you know how grueling a double shift can be. Uh, and I was doing that six days a week. And some days, you know, when you wait tables, some days the, the cash is good and some days it's not so good. Some days the restaurant's empty and you don't make any money or you get stiffed on the table. And so just that, that lack of stability and security, uh, became a real issue for me, especially as the due date of my second child kept getting closer. And so, those moments were the moments when I realized I needed to do something different than what I was doing. And did that lead you into you teaching yourself how to code? It did. It did. Yeah. Let's um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, so I was a college dropout, uh, which meant, you know, I couldn't just, uh, apply for jobs that were, uh, salaried that would have, uh, a bachelor's degree as, as a requirement. Um, I was also new to town and, you know, it's it's one thing if you've been in a place for a little while, but when you're new to town, it's hard to apply for for great salary jobs. And so, uh, teaching myself how to code felt like the the quickest path to be able to get out of uh, the situation that I was in. So I went to Borders because back then Amazon hadn't run them out of business yet. 
uh, bought a but couple like, of books. Like the brick and mortar borders. The brick like and mortar borders. Walking is... into a store to buy some books. No, totally, man. What, brick what and that? mortar borders. Uh, <laughs> yep. Back when that's how you used to learn how to code. I mean, Absolutely. you know, uh, things have evolved so much now with Code Academy Online and all these different programs. And, you know, there's, there's coding boot camps all around the country. And this is awesome. Yep. None of that existed in 2000, right? Wow. Okay. Like none of that. And so what did exist back then were user groups. So if you could figure out how to get uh, in your town where the bubbling internet economy was growing, and keep in mind, this is 2000, so the dot-com bust hadn't happened yet. So there was a lot of booming going on and a lot of internet companies that weren't really doing anything valuable but had a lot of money. And had a lot, it was a lot of Wild West. A lot, right? yeah. I, was, I was in the Bay Area at the time. I remember. Oh, my God. I, I can't even flying. imagine. I can't oh, even was, imagine being in the Bay Area in 2000, right? It was so. Insane. It was, so, so here in Nashville, there was a building, uh, coming station still here today. And at that time, that was like little Silicon Valley in Nashville. So if you were in that building, there was a 75% chance you were a technology company and funded by somebody and big aspirations. But what was, what was most important, even if the businesses weren't that solid, they had incredible talent there, like unbelievable talent. And so, uh, I got to go to these user group meetings with people who were passionate about technology and I got to learn from them for free. That was really cool. Uh, and so between the books and practicing at home and bartering with our, our midwife for a website and then going to these user group meetings, uh, by the time my second son was born, I got my first job as a junior developer at a company called HealthStream uh, here in Nashville. Wow. So you dive into it. You're, you're now all in on, on the tech side of life. What has happened since then? I mean, here you are now. I mean, you're leading incredible organizations. But how did you get to where you are now? I mean, give me some of those kind of high levels. Yeah. So um, so the health stream job was really pivotal for me because a uh, huge shift from a socioeconomic perspective, you know, going from just the uncertainty of not knowing what I was going to bring home from day to day to having this salary job that was actually quite good salary for a junior developer and benefits and a parking space and sort of all this thing. So it really stabilized my life and allowed me to kind of focus in and deepen in the craft of software development. Mm. It also thrust me into an environment where I had to learn how to function in, in a corporation and deal with office politics. And these were things I was not initiated in. And so, um, I was very passionate, very ambitious and, uh, had strong opinions about what we were doing from a technology perspective. And they did not align well with the technology leadership of the company. And I ended up making some mistakes in terms of how I addressed that. And I didn't get fired from the job, but I did have to leave before I got fired, you know, because I, I put myself in, in poor favor. And the truth is, you know, I think they had really high hopes for me and they had given me some great projects to work on where, I, I mean, I could have, I could have really grown at that company, but this was a bit of self-awareness, you know, where I, I learned a, I didn't know that much about how to be a good corporate citizen. And B, I didn't know if I wanted to know that much about it. You know, quite frankly, I, I was more interested in creating innovative things and being a little bit more ambitious as opposed to falling in line. So you're in this big corporate structure. You said, oh, man, it's time to, it's yeah. Time to go. Yeah. So I went from a company that was not, not that big, quite frankly. I mean, Hellstream is much bigger now. But uh, there they were 150 people when I was there. And I went from that to a company that was uh, less than 20 people. Um, and that was a much better fit for me. Uh, you know, I was, which company was that? Uh, it was a company called Anode as an agency. And I got to work on lots of different projects. I learned every server side language while I was there. So I was doing projects in Java server pages, ASP, which is the predecessor to .NET, PHP, uh, Cold Fusion, which is a language that's not even around oh, anymore. Yeah. 
so I got to work on all these different technologies, all these different projects, which was great for me. Uh, I only ended up staying there a year because I, I then wanted to just go run my own business. So throughout those two years at, at Hellstream and Anode, I learned that I had a strong inclination to want to be in control. And, and that, that really was sort of the defining uh, trajectory for the rest of my career. Uh, in 2003, I landed a contract gig that turned into an employment uh, deal with a, a very early stage company called Emma, Emma yeah. where I was the fifth employee. Emma was an email marketing company. Amazing company. I spent, yeah, I spent, I ended up spending four years there. And that was where I got to learn what it meant to be a leader in an early stage company. So I got equity. I was a director. I learned management. I got to grow a team underneath me, uh, you know, go from burning cash to making millions of dollars. And so that was really like my MBA in startups, uh, or at least the first one uh, that I would get. Uh, and then from there, uh, I left in 2007 to start my career as a full-blown entrepreneur and, and really haven't looked back. So it's 2007. Did the notion of you being a venture capitalist, was that... Not... Did you, did you even ha- was that even on the radar yet? To be completely honest, because Emma was mostly self-funded with with the exception of a bank from the loan, yeah. a, a loan from the bank, I did not even really understand venture capital. Mm-hmm. I, I just really didn't understand it. You know, HealthStream was not really a venture-backed company. Bobby Frist, who's the founder, is part of the Frist family, so they had means. And then that company went public. Uh, so, you know, I didn't really know much about venture from there. Anode was a was a small company and what it was an agency, so it was not a venture-backed company. So I didn't have any experience working for a venture-backed company. I learned about venture when I left Emma. That's when I learned about venture. And I got really interested in learning about venture, really because in 2007, the accelerator movement had just started. Techstar. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I guess 2007 was the forming of Y Combinator. Yep. No, actually 2005 was Y Combinator and 2007 was Techstars. Techstars, exactly. Yeah, and so... Out of Boulder. Out of Boulder, exactly. And I started studying those guys online, right? And so that was how I, I learned about venture was from was from those guys. That's how I learned about venture. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's when I met my partner, Vic, after leaving Emma. And I was pitching him. He was a venture capitalist. I was pitching him for a company that I had created. Didn't work out well. But, you know, we... we it's, uh, part of, it's part of the journey, Marcus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he likes to talk about how he turned me down, but he kept me around as a friend. And yeah, it was, it was just a process. But yeah, to answer your question, no, I had no idea I was going to become a venture capitalist. So now, all of a sudden, here's Jumpstart Foundry. You guys are one of the leading brands, one of the leading voices for healthcare innovation in the country and have been supporting so many amazing startups and tech founders. How did that get going? And, yeah. And, and where do you see that going forward as well? Yeah. So I'll condense our long history into hopefully a minute here. So we started Jumpstart Foundry uh, as a tech accelerator in 2010, and we did that for four years. That was great. We learned very quickly that the accelerator market was going to be very, very crowded, and we were not focused on healthcare exclusively. We were just doing uh, technology companies, and so we had, we had, let's say, we had forty companies in total. Eight of them were healthcare companies. Oh, wow. And at the end of the, the four or five years that we were running the accelerator, the eight healthcare companies outperformed the other companies by like you know two hundred percent in terms wow. of like money raised, survivability, success, employees that, that had been hired. And the reason is because Nashville is a big healthcare city. Oh, and so we, we understood we needed to play to the strengths of our city. Uh, we also understood that the accelerator market was not really going to be uh, where we wanted to play long term. We needed to raise more money. Uh, we were able to you know, invest in 40 companies at very small dollar amounts. We're talking wow. about 15K a piece. 
but that wasn't going to last for long. So in 2014, Y Combinator and Techstars both increased the deals. They had blog posts called the New Deal, and the deal went from 15k to over 100k. And they basically threw the gauntlet down and said to all you other accelerators, like if you want to keep playing, this is, this is where it needs to be. And Vic and I said, yeah, we want to keep playing. And so uh, we evolved in 2014. We announced that we were going to be healthcare only. We were going to be a seed fund, not an accelerator. Uh, and that was the future. So 2015 is where we started that. And we now have over 80 companies in the portfolio. We've raised a Series A fund called Jumpstart Capital and uh, you know, continuing to grow our platform. And, and I'm uh, very proud, uh, one of the partner owners of, of Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver. I'm very proud that some of your companies call my campus home. So We're very lucky for them to be able to call your campus home. Your <laughs> it, campus is incredible. It's a great place well, for them to grow. It's amazing, right? And uh, ho- hopefully that'll pay off on, on the other side as well for everybody. Uh, yes, indeed. So, so that is just one part also, Marks. I think I also want to hone in a little bit on Briovation. So that yeah. what we just talked about is one part of the larger umbrella of That's Briovation. Right. Unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so when we, when we left the accelerator uh, part of our history in the dust, like every other accelerator, we had a demo day. And we're like, the demo day's got to die. It's terrible, right? And so we replaced it with a healthcare innovation conference that really was just focused on Nashville to start called Health Further. Um, I was I was lucky to MC one of them. Yeah, exactly. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, the, the very first one had 650 people. And it was it was great. Uh, we grew it over the course of four years. You know, the the, the last year that we did, which was last year, 2018, uh, we had about 1,800 people there, 100 people from outside of the country. Half the attendees were from outside of Tennessee. So you know, we we grew a great community through that. And that, you know, as we were growing health further, we realized that we really did need to uh, expand the business to not just be jumpstart. Uh, we needed an industry engagement brand, and that's what health further has evolved to become. Uh, over the last year, uh, Steve Tremetier, who you know well, and myself have taken health further and and evolved it into a strategic advisory company because we we've realized that the healthcare industry is at this point now where. A, there's lots of conferences, and B, there's enough pressure that change is going to happen, and we felt well-educated enough and well-connected enough to be part of that change as opposed to just sort of putting that change on stage. Advisory company for who? Uh, specifically for the healthcare industry. So uh, we, we work with billion-dollar and up health systems. Uh, we work with governments, uh, municipalities that are looking to change the, the healthcare model for their, for their citizens. So the, those are kind of the, the two primary uh, groups that we work with. And so what's that look like kind of current state? I mean, I, I get to live in it daily just like you, but from your perspective at Briovation, what are you guys seeing? Are, are we getting to that tipping point, right? We've been in this, many of us have been in this industry for years and it just has seemed like a bunch of talk. Yeah. And this, again, you know, to frame it up for our listening community, here is the American healthcare industry on an annualized basis spending north of $3 trillion, trending to 5 That's current state 20% of our nation's GDP. And we don't even have top 10 outcomes on the face of the planet. And we've heard talk, talk, talk about innovation is coming, innovation is coming. It's hit all these other industries. Is that tipping point here? Or is it about to hit? You know, the healthcare industry, certainly in the United States, but, you know, we're doing a lot of work in the UK now, is so closely entangled with the government. And so it is different from other industries where innovation has been able to come in and really just cater to the consumer and cause massive, massive change very quickly. Complex. Uh, here, even though we don't have a Medicare for all system or anything like that, 
uh, so much of the money that the, the healthcare industry gets comes from the government that you have to sort of say, in some ways, it's a public system. In some ways, it is because the, so much of the money comes from the government. And so that makes us, it forces us to look at government and say, is government really changing? And what I would, I would argue is that, interestingly enough, under the Trump administration, we're probably seeing some of the most extreme changes as it pertains to the healthcare system that we've seen in the last 25 years. Uh, you know, the, the, even just recently last week, the last uh, HHS rule around tra- price, transparency. Yeah, price transparency. I mean, that's a big deal. Huge that's deal. a really big deal. And there's more stuff, as you know, in the chamber that's going to be put out on Front Street. Uh, I think when you combine that with with the very, very serious debates around wh- how we should pay for healthcare as a country happening at the presidential level, you know, my sense is having really focused on this space for the last five years. I've never seen more pressure on the industry to change coming from the government than I've seen in the last 12 months. Wouldn't you say, too, it's, it's so think of that top down. Yes. Think of the bottom up being the patient who is now, she's now a consumer. Yeah. So if we're seeing, right, I mean, is that how we're framing it up? We're seeing pressures from both sides? Yeah, I, I think we're seeing pressures on both sides. However, I think that the pressure from the top down in this case is really the one we need to see happen more than any. That, that's, that's, the, that's the stronger one. Uh, from the bottom up, you know, the interesting thing is when we say, when we say consumer, healthcare isn't that great at framing up the consumer conversation, no. right? So let, let's, let's, just, <laughs> let's just talk about consumer packaged goods, right? Yeah. So if you were in the CPG world and you were a brand manager – you would have a name for your consumer, right? You know what I mean? If you were the Tide brand manager at P&G, you would be talking about Jane yep. and you would have an entire persona around Jane. In healthcare, we talk about the consumer like it's one thing. We don't talk about demography. We don't talk about psychographics. We don't talk about any of that stuff. And the reality is like that really matters when you're talking about consumerism, right? So millennials are very different from boomers. People who live in middle America are very different from people who live in the coast. People at different income levels are very different. People that have families versus people that don't have families. There's all sorts of differences when it comes to the reality of consumerism. And I think, yes, you probably have some categories in the entire stratosphere of consumers that are really sort of pushing. But broadly, I would say the American consumer of healthcare is mad with the government and mad with the industry about the state of it. And they're looking to those two forces to change. So there is a lot of pressure right now. I mean, here here it is. It's November of, of 2019. A lot of these things are happening. It's it's piling up at the, at the proverbial gate. So let's look into the future a bit for yourself, for Briovation, for the industry. Yeah. What do you see over the next three to five years? Again, for yourself, for your organization, for the industry at large. Yeah, so so I'll I'll start with me. So learning about the healthcare industry has only made me want to stay further away from the healthcare industry. <laughs> so I've made really I've made really serious changes about my lifestyle, just because you know we talk about chronic care and we talk about you know diabetes and heart disease and all these other things. And yet, like, if we're not changing our own behavior, I don't even know why we're talking about it, right? Can we pause there really quick? Sure. Because I think. If, and if for our listening community, if you go to MarcusWhitney.com, uh, he's very transparent with his own personal journey. Uh, I want to applaud you for sharing, you know, your very intimate story of, of dealing with uh, your mental well-being. Can you talk a little bit about that? How, how did you get to those revelations? How, why are you so public about it? What does it mean to you? Yeah, absolutely. So th- thank you. So honestly, it's been really helpful to talk about it publicly. I mean, you know, again, I, f- I feel like those of us who are involved in the healthcare industry, we know 
the importance of behavioral health. We know the importance of removing the stigma from it. And I just feel like if I'm going to be a leader in the healthcare space and the evolution and the transformation of the healthcare space, I have to lead with what I know to be true, which is we have to end the stigmas around behavioral and mental health. And, wow. and, you know, I find the stigmas to be absolutely ridiculous because I know everybody's affected by them. Like there's nothing wrong with me because I've got these issues. Every single person has these issues. And this is why I love hanging out with you because I, you know, and I think you and I have chatted about this at some of your uh, events here in Nashville. It's, it's why can't we, when we're getting together for a coffee this morning, why can't I say, Hey, Marcus, what'd you do this morning? Oh, Mike, I had an amazing workout this morning, you know, had an incredible chest day, right? What's, what's going on in your world, Mike? Oh my gosh. Marcus, last night we had some breakthroughs with our therapist, with, with my spouse and I it was amazing. Right. Why can't we have those conversations? Yeah. I mean, that's why I write about them. I love them. You know, that's why I write about them. And, and, you know, I, you know, I, I think, so here are some things that I've learned because I'm an entrepreneur. I am not worried about the retribution of an employer from these things. I'm there as well. Right. You know what I mean? But look, you know, there's a very good reason why people who are employed don't do this stuff Mm -hmm. because they, they're afraid that, you know, there will be backlash that there'll be retribution, uh, you know, for them being honest and open about what's going on with them. And so I feel like I've got the privilege and the benefit of largely controlling my destiny from an economic perspective to be able to be a leader on this front and to be able to talk about this stuff. Also, it's just really healthy. It's really healthy to disclose these things. It feels really good to share these things. And guess what? All sorts of people end up coming back to me and saying, yeah, man, you know, I've, I've had these very same experiences, you know, like. I'm, I'm building a community around myself, which which is only making me healthier at the end of the day because I've been able to disclose it. I couldn't agree more with you on this, Marcus. It's amazing the feedback I've personally received from some of our earlier episodes with Passionate Pioneers, everything from Lisa Sabe's uh, uh, episode to Dr. Ben Miller, who is a Chief Strategy Officer at Wellbeing Trust, and talking about the mental well-being of our nation. And it is amazing the, the notes I receive, the messages that come in after some of the, the listening community uh, dives in and, and, and can understand. I think there's this growing movement of leaders like you around this nation that, that you're taking it on. And I, I just want to applaud you for that. I wanted to take a pause and make sure we highlight that part of your work because it is inspiring. I, I, I appreciate it. One thing I do want to say is that I sense that I'm turning a corner with this entire dialogue that I'm having with the public around this, where, you know, Look, a year ago, I was sort of in a tough place. You know, things were things were hard on a bunch of different yeah. fronts, and I and I made a bunch of you know decisions around going to therapy and and uh, mm-hmm. not drinking and um, and just a, bu- a bunch of different you know changes and, and eating veggie burgers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and what's happened is over the course of the last year, it's like you know, good habits beget good habits, and you start to build momentum. And the truth is, like, now a year later from from really where I, I made the choice, you know, I had my one-year therapy anniversary, like, two weeks ago. Good for you. Thanks, man. And, um, you know, the truth is, right now, I'm, like, thriving. Like, you know, so so it's it's not like it's not like you stay in this perpetual state of, you know, you don't have to stay in this perpetual state of like, ah, you know, I need mental health help because I'm struggling. It's like you actually can move from just trying to get through a really rough patch to utilizing these things to thrive and to be more competitive and to be more successful in life. Right. And that's, that is definitely where I am right now. Like I'm, you know, my body feels great. My mind feels great. 
emotionally, I feel very stable. I don't feel moved by, by a whole lot of things, but I'm still going to therapy and I'm still meditating every day and I'm still not drinking because I'm looking for peak performance. I'm looking to feel as good as I can possibly feel. And I can tell you one of your friends a mile high in Denver can see the results of it. I, you know, I follow you closely. Uh, you're, you're one of the leaders in our industry that, that I admire the most. It comes through. I see it clear as can be every day following your journey. So know Thanks, that it is reverberating across the country. So thank you for sharing that, that very personal piece of your journey, Marcus. Let's talk a little bit now. Let's dive back into business. Let's talk about Briovation. Let's talk yeah. about the next three to five years with Briovation and healthcare. Where, where are we at? Yeah. So um, I think it's just an incredibly exciting time. I think healthcare is clearly in the venture capital and private equity world and even the public markets world, the main attraction. Uh, this this is where we're going to see a bunch of activity because everyone is now facing the fact that it's the largest percentage of GDP. It's the most untapped market when it comes to innovation outside of higher education. And also, we're at a crisis point. We've got to do something about it, both from a cost and an outcome perspective. So that's really exciting to sort of be in this place where it feels like we're hitting the crescendo moment uh, in our industry and that we've been here for the last five years building and preparing for it is really great for us. It feels like, so as you know, my backstory, I was fortunate to, to be a, a field goal kicker at Stanford, many, leather helmet days, right? Many years ago. <laughs> but to me, to, to what you just described, it feels like we're about to run through the tunnel. We're about to kick the ball off and it's game time. It feels like we're just getting started. <laughs> oh, man. It feels like we're just getting started and that all this work we've done up until now has been preparing us to be able to be a player in it, Right. You know, I think I think it's incredible that at Hell Further we get to we get to make a bold claim and say, look, we are going to work with C levels of billion dollar and up organizations or of the leaders of cities because we're one of the best in the world at what we do. You know what I mean? And that's and and it's just there's a very small market available because these health systems, you know, look, they're high availability, high reliability systems, right? And so Guess what that means? It means they are not tuned for dramatic change. They're not tooled up for it. They don't have the people for it. They don't have the institutional knowledge around it. And they need somebody who can respect that, who cannot come in with a move fast, break things idea, you know, ideology, but also can help them to evolve to be better at change management, help them to evolve to be better at embracing and, and absorbing innovation. And that's what we think we are going to be the best at helping them do. And so that's, it's just great to be there and be able to stand on that very niche opportunity and make that claim and feel good about it. Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm, again, I'm seeing the results firsthand being uh, friends of yours and Steve and others. It's, it's incredible to watch your journey. And of course, to our listening community, we'll include some uh, links in the episode notes uh, so you can continue to follow Marcus and their company's journey as they continue to dedicate themselves to moving the health of our nation forward. So Marks, let's let's turn gears a bit and take this where you want. It's always amazing for our, our community to hear from our uh, guests on what they can be doing with your mission and work. Take this where you want. What are two or three action items that our listening community can implement with your work and your mission? Yeah, so so we have spent the last year really retooling, and that has been great. Uh, next year, we are going to we 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 ran a podcast for for two and a half years. And put it on hiatus for the last year to really kind of focus on this core work. Uh, we're going to relaunch that next year, and so you know, I think I'm I'm interested in hearing from people. Uh, specifically, I'm really interested in hearing from people in the healthcare industry, uh, and even more specifically in health systems um, that are passionate, that are doing really great work, and can tell great stories about how innovation is working in their lives and in their in their organizations. Uh, we're really interested in getting those stories out there because. Uh, 
you know, I think one of the big issues we have right now is a narrative issue. Um, we don't know who is doing good work. We don't know enough about who is doing good work. And, and we've got to get those stories out there more. The work you're doing is oh, incredibly valuable for that, right? You know, and we hope to be able to join that chorus of, of amplifying those stories. And so that would be one thing I would say is get is, the word out. We have to, as an industry, we have to tell the stories. You it's have an action, to. right? We got to, we got to let the narrative out. Absolutely. Because, you know, we, we need it as a bad signal. Like we don't have all the people we need to turn this around yet. Right. So we have to tell the story so that the people that we have yet to recruit, but we absolutely need will know, oh, there are cool people over there that are really trying hard. I'm, I'm down to go help. So I'll flip the script on you a bit here. I asked for two to three action items that, that our community can implement with your work and mission. Let's stay there, but I want to flip it to the personal. We just talked about your own personal journey. What is one action item our listening community can do for their own well-being, whatever that might be? Yeah. So, gosh, what is one thing you could do? If, if I had to point to one thing that I think is, uh, is, is so incredibly valuable, I would say uh, try to develop a mindfulness practice. That has been, I'm, I'm doing a lot of things that are really, really valuable. You know, I don't, some things I don't like saying because I think, I feel like they alienate people. They make them it's feel bad. Journey. But mindfulness and meditation is one that I don't feel like anyone has any big emotional attachment to. And I feel like it's a reasonable ask to make of everybody. It's really, really valuable to spend a short amount of time on a very regular basis. I would recommend every day just focusing on your breath and observing how crazy your mind is, right? So that you can get better perspective that you're not always operating from a rational place and that your thoughts can sweep you away pretty quickly. I think the more people we have that develop that capability within themselves, the more rational behavior we're going to get. Well, you would like to know, and I, and I appreciate that because you're uh, confirming some of my purchases recently. I recently <laughs> purchased a subscription to Headspace and it Great. has been awesome. Good for you. Yeah, man. it's been awesome. So and, thank you for confirming that. Yeah. And I really believe it's in, incredible. I really believe in building the habit above everything else. Yeah. So I don't, I don't care if it's like a good session, a bad session, if you feel like you're not doing it well or whatever. I just think that that's why I think these apps are so great. I use Calm. Uh, you know, I've heard some people say calm. That's super basic. I don't care. It's it, it works for you. It works for me every day. I do it. I'm like at 205 days as of, as of the recording of this podcast. Hopefully, by the time it comes out, I'll be in the two fifteen to twenty to thirty. <laughs> you know, but like I I, I, will, I will just say that like that has given me a sense of self monitoring, self awareness, and my ability to sort of improve the way I interact with the world so much, so much. And so that would be, the, that's like the one thing I think I would recommend for everyone to do. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm, you're confirming all of my, my recent purchasing choices. So thank you on that. We're going to start closing it down. We obviously could be spending a lot of time together here in Nashville. And one, one area we'd even talk about is, is your ownership position in a professional soccer team. And so for our listening community to learn more about Marcus's journey, his incredible leadership position here in the music city uh go and visit marcuswhitney.com make sure that you continue to follow his work his his videos his linkedin uh, and his upcoming book maybe we can quickly highlight your your upcoming book yeah. Great orchestrate gotcha. where, where are we gonna be able to find that uh well obviously amazon and uh and then i'll, I'll probably be selling it from my own site as Good. well and all the big retailers but i'm working with a publisher now and i just had a great call with them yesterday and uh, we're about to go into, I think, a pretty deep um, editing pass with their support, which I'm really excited for because I just think 
there's not much more I can do with this book. I've been working on it for four and a half years. Let's and, get it out. And it's, it's time. It, it, and, it, and it's time for me to get some help from, from like professional editors to like do this last pass. When will we see it in the marketplace? March would be the soonest. April would be the latest. So of, it, of, of 2020. Of 2020. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it'll be no, no earlier than March and no later than April of next year. So Marcus Whitney, the author of Create and Orchestrate, come uh, spring of 2020, make sure you grab a copy. Of course, Marcus, I am uh, hopefully uh, can come back to Nashville and gra- grab a uh, an autographed copy of the book. You better. I, you I, better come back. <laughs> it's, my, it's my home away from home. All right, we're, we're going to close it down. Where are some of the uh, touch points online for our listening community to get a hold of you, to follow your journey, and continue to support you on your mission? Great. So you already said MarcusWhitney.com. Subscribe to my email list there. That would be awesome. Okay. Uh, healthfurther.com. You can subscribe to our list there as well. Uh, and then uh, Jumpstart Foundry. Uh, you can go to uh, JSF.co uh, and subscribe there. So those those are kind of the three big brands I would point you to. Perfect. And, and to our community, we'll leave the links to those uh, to those sites on our in our episode notes for you to click through as well. All right. Take us home, Marcus. We have a fill in the blank for you. I'm a passionate pioneer because I'm a passionate pioneer because life is a gift and bringing our gifts to the world through creating new things is the best way to express our gratitude. I love it. Marcus, thank you for taking time out of if you're very busy schedule here in Nashville for always making me feel so welcome in the music city and for supporting all of our work in Denver and beyond. I continue to applaud you and root you on uh, from the mountains and from Denver and all that you're doing to move the health of our nation and, and our communities forward. Thank you for all that you do. I'm very grateful for you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.